Hello, everyone. A new episode of the B Podcast. Today with me, uh, a lawyer, Kevin Fogler, so from DK uh, lawyer, uh, Law Firm. Um, so good having you, Kevin. Always a pleasure talking to you, and thank you for having me. All right, that's fantastic, Kevin. So um, today we're going to talk about doing business in Poland. Um, I'm conscious not that an easy thing. Um, I just uh, looked up before uh, we jump into the sessions. I think Poland is ranked 40 in 100 and something, so 180, 189 uh, countries in terms of the easiness of doing business. Um, um, it's a big rabbit hole, but we tried to, let's try to talk if, uh, on a few of the principal elements. And so let me start by saying why anyone actually should shortlist Poland as a place of doing business? Um, that's a good question. And the short answer, I believe, is that in many cases, you don't really have a choice because if you're interested in the Polish market, uh, if you want to employ somebody here or if you want to have some kind of, uh, let's say, a storage facility or like an office, um, then due to like tax, international tax laws and tax establishments, in many cases, it's simply a lot better of an, a strategy to actually establish a business here than to try and do it from abroad and then have to deal with tax offices and making uh, very, very extensive formalities. Uh, it's an interesting you said about the, that ranking, by the way. Uh, I saw a similar ranking, but it was limited to European countries. And I think Poland was like number three when it comes to the worst countries for doing business. Yeah, uh, when it comes yeah, to yeah, Europe. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> first, first, first it, it was like France, Italy, and Poland. Uh, and I can definitely understand why, uh, especially, especially when it comes to, you know, um, we, we deal with different jurisdictions and we have international clients and many cases, they're kind of surprised when they see how things that in their jurisdiction or in their, let's say, uh, business practices are super easy. You can do them in an evening making tea. Here in Poland, it could be a much longer process and there's much more formalities, formalities involved. Um, however, uh, when it comes to why, um, choose to like establish a business here, if you are a, let's say if you own a company abroad and you want to employ people in Poland, or, uh, you have some kind of like a trading company and you want to set up like a logistics, uh, headquarters over here, where you're going to be like, um, shipping in goods, storing goods, repackaging them and so on. In these situations, you might fall into um, a tax establishment. So basically, the Polish tax authorities are going to be angry at you and jealous that you're make, doing business abroad and you're not paying any taxes here, even though you have like a permanent presence. So they come to you one day and say that, well, this part of your business that's located here in Poland, so your employees, your facilities, uh, your um, agents who are running around finding clients for you, these are actually a Polish business and you're supposed to be paying taxes here from this part of the business. And then what the tax office can do is say that, well, you, sh you started this business, let's say a few years back. We believe you made this and this much money during this time. So you're going to have to pay taxes from this turnover or this income that you made increased by uh, interest rates and increased by fines. So basically um, if you have any kind of presence in Poland's, then most likely it's uh, more sooner than later it's going to be more beneficial to, for you to actually set up a permanent um, um, a company a subsidiary here than actually 
having to deal with the risks involved with a tax office. So that's that's the short answer. Uh, it's it's basically you're going to be forced into it if you have any kind of interest in the Polish market. So, so you know, I, I I've been looking in few weeks back on tax rates, um, and we're going to talk about it a bit. And one of the big challenges um, and why actually Poland positioned that low is just the changes in the tax regulations, at least as of the last two years or so, that the businesses just couldn't catch up. They couldn't even put the provisions for all of these changes. Why? You know, one of the surprising things that came to mind, so I was looking to the tax rate across the continent in, in Europe. And, and I was under the impression when I started looking at the Cyprus is one of the, you know, tax haven. All, everyone's talking about it. Uh, Luxembourg and then also Netherlands, um, uh, probably Switzerland as well. But and then in reality, in, in, in real tax rate, I think it's not, I think it's Poland's actually one of the lowest. So you have Hungary. This is like it created a, a lot of noise when they made that um, uh, corporate tax flat at nine percent. But also in Poland, which is not a lot of people knows about it, that if you making a turnover, I think up to two million euros, you have also a nine percent flat tax, right? So this is kind of interesting, yes, right? That's, that's also that's also something new uh, that came in. Um, However, the thing is that the current tax regulation, like you said, it's they made we had a very big change starting from this year. Uh, and then a few months after this big change came, the government kind of realized that it's really faulty. So they made another big change to fix the first big change. And um, there are many principles that should make it easier in theory or, or should make the tax rates lower. However, um, the regulations in many ways are not very precise and the business practices or the interpretation of the provisions are not yet established. So even though there are certain solutions where you might be able to apply for a lower tax rate, it might turn out in the future that do the actual practice and how these provisions are interpreted, the tax office is going to say that, well, you've been doing it wrong, so you have to pay the normal tax anyway. <laughs> oh, no. <For> example, um, <laughs> <laughs> so I want to give you an example. I don't want to like um, just just you know uh, give out general ideas. Uh, there's something in Poland called um, it's Cidestoński. It's basically like the tax uh, that is um, it's it's a rule that applies to uh, corp to companies, uh, capital companies um, that has been implemented based on a similar solution that's in Estonia. So basically, it's like uh, as long as you don't pay out the dividends, you don't pay any tax on the income in the company, right? And then you have like a, a better tax rate. Uh, however, the rules around this, um, one, they're changing from day to day almost, two, the interpretation of the rules and the conditions you have to meet are so vague that not many companies are actually trying to apply for this Tita Stoinski uh, and not many tax advisors are actually encouraging companies to apply for it because, well, you never really know how it's going to turn out in practice. Um, and the other issue is that you have all these big changes and in many situations, not even the tax authorities or uh, the people who made these laws really know how to apply them, right? Um, one of the things that the government did when people started complaining how the tax law is very complicated now and they're not really sure how to apply it, is they made a big announcement that they're making a helpline 
where uh, if you have any tax related question, you can call the helpline and they're going to you know, tell you what the answer is. Uh, there's a few issues with that, however. Number one, the lines to actually get, uh, get a hold of anybody on this helpline uh, were hours long. And the number two, even if you get, get somebody on the phone telling you how to interpret the tax law, you don't have it on paper anywhere. Their interpretation is in no way binding for the tax authorities. So uh, number one, they can give you false information. Number two, they can give you information that will be questioned by somebody in the future. And uh, it's not going to protect you in any way in case you get audited and the tax office decides to fine you because you don't have any proof of the conviction. And also, even if you did have proof, they don't have they the person on the phone has no authority to actually give any binding statements on behalf of the tax authorities, right? So um, I imagine that's one of the reasons why uh, Poland is also not really um, high on that ranking because the tax law is really uh, it, 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 it's something. It's it's uh, it's a different story. <laughs> Two things that can't run away, T tax and death, right? <laughs> they just catch up with you, no matter how fast you run. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right. That's right. That, that, being said, that being said, there are certain solutions in Poland that are beneficial, especially for people who deal with um, creating some kind of like IP. Uh, and more specifically, creating IP that is innovative. That's like the key word in this whole, um, in this whole idea. So in Poland, there's something called IP box. Uh, you may have heard of it. It's like a special uh, tax uh, easement that applies mostly to programmers or developers or people who create some kind of uh, innovative solutions, uh, where if you prove that you are creating, inf uh, creating IP on a project that has not been worked on by anybody or that it's innovative in some kind of way, then you can actually apply for a 5% tax on all income that you make in that's in relation to this innovative IP that you're creating. So that's also why um, it's also been very beneficial for people who create some kind of IP or, or IT companies to look for employees over here uh, because the tax rate is very beneficial for these people. So also, um, I guess you can say the south, the net, amount of money that your employees make or that you make essentially if you're a freelancer is a lot lower than people who do other kinds of services okay that's interesting that's interesting so so kevin's like moving so now you, you figured out how to, how to set up a company well if it, you shortlisted poland right and it's like okay poland is a good place for me to your points because i'm an it company doing some innovation projects but, and then how hard or easy actually to run the business in Poland, how, how that looks like in the day-to-day -day life. Um, you see, I'd love to actually hear your opinion on this because me, I'm a lawyer, right? So I, you I, know, I it. know how to run. <laughs> <laughs> so I know how to do it. <laughs> um, that being said, I also have a comparison to how it looks like in other countries, right? Yeah. Um, basically, you know how to do it. it it's, it's doable. It's not like, crazy there's certain inconveniences involved when you have to like you want to change the address of the company to file a special application for court and so on and you can't just do it online um so there's inconveniences involved but once you learn how to do it i think it's i think it's fine uh however i do understand why it can be frustrating or complicated for people who are used to um for example in the uk they want to transfer shares or they want to allot new shares they log into web filing on a Friday evening. They click through a few forms. It takes like 10 minutes and it's done. And then they have it registered sometime the next day or within the, even the same day because it's super fast. 
Um, so if, if you're used to this sort of convenience in Poland, you're going to be very, very surprised. Uh, however, uh, that being said, I do believe that it, it's, it's really not um, something that's very, very complicated. That also depends on, of course, the type of business you're running, because there's going to be some businesses where there's going to be more formalities involved. There's going to be businesses where there's not so many formalities involved. There's, so there's some type uh, of business. If you're doing, yeah, and there's some type of business you don't you don't run it at all. <laughs> yeah, there's some businesses you might might as well just you know <laughs> forget about <laughs> look, look look elsewhere. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, for example, uh, what, what do you think? I mean, so I, from, from your perspective, from the perspective of like a business owner. I, I, th I think uh, one key thing that's like why it's really hard is bureaucracy is very, very paper heavy. It's like forms and, and sometimes you, fill, you download the official forms from, from the Internet, right? And then you just fill it and you go hand it over. It's like, no, that's not the forms. Here you go, another forms, right? And then, yeah, and then... The person who helped me to fill the right the first form is I need to, to, to reach out to that person. Oh, I need I need to bother you again, and especially if somebody's giving me a favor, it's not our paid persons, and that's kind of embarrassing a bit. And then the second one I think is the language barrier. That that's now it's I, I could see change as the new generation start sneaking into the public administration functions. So you have some people who understand at least English, not necessarily speak, but at least understand. Or like uh, throw a few words in front of you, you just you, you try to figure the rest of the sentence, but that's okay, right? But the problem with that is, as you said, it's not a binding information. You, it's in your own peril. And this is this encourage those people even to try speak to you in English, because that's a binding statement comes from them. And if they misrepresent that, saying it in English, not in Polish, and then they've been held responsible and accountable toward you. So they just refrain, refrain, even if they do, they're afraid of trying to tell it. And if I lived through an experience when the Asian tell me, I just can't tell you in English because that's a binding information, right? So, so this right. is, yeah, this is, this is the key challenge. But I think to my point, to the next questions, actually, I think the key for any entrepreneurs who wants to run a business in Poland, as you said, it's not impossible. It has its, it has its perks. But you have to have the right people on the ground helping you out, whether that's an attorney, right. whether that's an accounting firms. And this is my next question. It's like, if I'm a foreigner is now landing in Poland, what should I look on? Where should I look for these trusted partners? What the key criteria is even down the road that say, I've got the right people on my side? Right. Um, well, I think there's two things that are probably most important if you are a foreigner and you want to do business here. Number one is to find advisors, be it tax, legal, uh, or just business consultants in general. Find somebody who has prior experience in dealing with like international situations. Um, the reason being, um, legally speaking, the provisions that apply in case of companies that are run by foreigners or companies that are run by Polish people, in many ways, they're almost identical. However, the practices and situations that you may be forced to deal with at a later stage um, may require you to have some prior knowledge about this. So I, I can give you an example. Bank accounts. We have lots of, uh, you know, we, we, had a, we have our, our mutual experience with, with opening bank accounts. So um, basically, if you want to open a bank account, if you're a foreigner, 
or if you have a, a company that's run by foreigners, you have to go through the KYC procedure. And this can be very difficult to do because banks, especially some banks, I don't want to mention them by name. I don't think we can do that. Uh, I, I could, I could <laughs> blow, banks, I, I could blow it up in a tweet. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, uh, you know, we, we, we were pretty frustrated with, with the experience we had with some banks. Uh, some of these banks have very extensive for these KYC procedures, and it's a big mess to actually get the account open. It takes a long time. They have lots of documents. And at the end, if they're not happy with something, they can say, we're not opening your account for business reasons, and you can't really get any explanation as to what the reasons actually are. Uh, however, if you have somebody who, who, who's aware of this and knows banks where it is more convenient, which we now do, um, they can help you get bypass this big mess and help you open the accounts within maybe a week instead of like a few months. Um, so, so that's one thing to be aware of. Uh, I look for somebody who has prior experience in dealing with such situations. They can help you, let's say, um, get through certain practical problems more efficiently. And the second I would advise is to um, look for advisors who um, have knowledge of the practices or interpretations of the courts and offices of the region in which your company will be operating. Mm. So um, th the reason for this is because certain practices or interpretations of certain laws may vary between for example, the courts of different parts of Poland, and sometimes even between the judges. Is it? The same okay. courts. And yes. Uh, and it's very annoying because sometimes um, they, two judges may have a different interpretation of what must be found in a certain form. And both solutions are actually, like, legally speaking, correct. But, you know, they, for some reason, have their own way of looking at things. And if you don't do it their way, they might return your application and ask you to actually, you know, amend it, which is actually very annoying for, from a lawyer's point of view as well, because you have to explain, to, if this happens, you have to explain to your client that, well, you actually did it correctly. <laughs> it's just this judge so happens to have this interpretation of his, which I was not aware of. And you have to, you know, there's a big delay. You have to explain and, and it's just very inconvenient. Uh, but if, if you have, uh, a team that knows the practices of the local tax office, of the local um, company registration court, of the local social security institutions, then you, one, you can make things go a lot faster if you know people who work in there, for example. So unfortunately, uh, it is the case that, you know, if you have private contacts, then they can take your application, take it from the bottom, put it to the top. Uh, and number two, you know, you are aware of some of these traps that you might fall into and you can bypass them, right? So those are two things I would look for. Number one, look for somebody who has prior experience in dealing with international clients. And number two, somebody who knows the local authorities uh, of the place where you'll be registering your business. And of course, um, well, language is another thing. So find somebody who knows the, la who knows the language good into um, not only speak it, but actually speak it in a way that will allow him to explain the complicated legal and tax provisions that you're going to have to face when you're going to be doing business. Yeah. Um, just uh, while I was listening to you, I was thinking is because you're working in, in a law firm and you're dealing with a lot of these international clients um, coming through your doors. <clears throat> so, so what are the 
from what are you seeing the three let's say big challenges you have seen across the board with these international companies trying to open say branches for them in Holland the biggest challenge is um number one first challenge is that if you want to open a company in Poland uh like you said it's very paper heavy mm. and if you want to op if you want to open a company um if you're a foreigner then you're going to have to come into Poland and personally go to a notary to sign all the agreements on paper and you know then file them partly electronically but still partially partly on uh, mostly on paper so that's the first problem you actually have to come here to take care of it there is like an electronic way to set up companies um however number one it's the the possibilities of um, the possibilities you have when it comes to customizing the articles of association of the company are very limited. And then number two, in order to actually file these documents, the management board or the directors of the, co of the company need to have a, a qualified electronic signature, which is um, issued in Poland. And it's not like you can't use like Panda Docs or, or uh, DocuSign and stuff like that. And if you're abroad, most likely you don't have the signature anyway. And the only way to really get it is to have be verified personally, right? So one is you have to come in person to Poland. Uh, number two, uh, I would say is um, you have to get this electronic signature to actually file files or meet certain obligations or that arise throughout the, the life of the company later on. Um, because for example, after, within seven days of registering your company, you have to send an application to the central registry of beneficial owners. And the only way to do this is through an electronic signature. I remember that so one. Again, we go back to point one where <laughs> far from, yeah. And, and you're not really aware of that, right? No. no one really tells you about it. And then you get a, a like a letter or like a warning saying that you haven't done your registration. And, um, then another, another, and then also you have to do your annual filings, the financial statements through this electronic signature as well. Uh, and then the last thing is, I would say the bank accounts, um, especially if your shareholders or your directors come from certain parts of the world that are not very uh, looked upon when it comes to like AML laws and like KYC procedures. Uh, or if you're conducting some sort of a business that is um, that causes red flags to show up within the KYC procedures, uh, or if you're doing business related to, for example, uh, gambling uh, or cryptocurrencies or anything crypto related in general, then that can cause red flags to show up, and you know it's going to prong the whole procedures. So I get yourself a bank account open, and God forbid you give a wrong answer somewhere or. Uh, you kind of suggest a bit too much, either by accident or purposely, and you know the bank's going to give you a no, and you you'll have a business, but you won't have a bank account open, so you're not really going to be able to do anything with the business anyway. Those are three big things I'd say. No, on that note, and the... how about you? What what do you what what what, what was your biggest issue? Yeah, I, th I think I think the bank account is the top of my list. And I find it frustrations even if I compare it with other jurisdictions. So I've lived in France for a while. So they are legally they legally bind it to explain to you why as of why um, they don't want you to have you as a client on their bank. They have to. They have to in the letter explain exactly what the circumstances of their decision. And then actually you could appeal against it because 
uh, once you register a company, um, you are author legally authorized to conduct a business. And if the banks are not allowed, even they, if they are a private establishment, not allow you to practice your, your business, and then this is kind of an obstacle for you to basically be legal, right? Because you could sort to other type of transactions that are not, not really very welcome, right? It's the, namely cash, for example, right? So they both actually have your bank account and see all of your, all of your transactions rather than, you know, keep you in the dark, right? So this is kind of a different approach to, to that. And it, um, there is also in France talking about, um, again, about some examples, there's a strong associations like consumers protection, something like this. So you could actually sue the banks under context, especially if you have multiple banks giving directions, right? You could appeal and through a judge you say, either they have to declare as of why they have rejected to open your account. And then to the judge say, well, that's the wrong decisions. And you have the, they can force those banks to open your bank account, basically. So it's completely different. In Poland, you just, you, you, you live in three months, in four months, we have seen that together um, in the dark. And you, know, you don't know. It's like filling exactly the same form again and again and again. You're consistent in de delivering the same amount of information. And they're going to tell you now, right? You get to the next hotel bag, and the procedure is generally the same, but <laughs> it's uh, what, one week, 10 days? Right, and it's all sorted out. So yeah, so so this is kind of first thing that comes to my mind, and yeah. So, but 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 um, <laughs> moving on, I don't want to complain much <laughs> about that. Um, you, you mentioned a bit, um, you know, digital assets. There's you know, namely digital currencies, cryptos, um, NFTs, and all of that. I'm a strong believer. This is a big scam scheme. But this is my own private opinion. But from a legal standpoint, where you say, how, how do you see? You're gonna, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna get a lot of people angry. Yeah, saying that. I, I'm getting a lot of heat on that one. I think, I think they, they're calling it the future. And and instead, instead of my argument, it's like, okay, what these assets are producing, and they can say, oh, but it's the same thing as what the what the dollar bill producing, right? But it's completely different. Right? It's just um, if you're talking. If you're talking even like my son guy was like, okay, guys, you want to drive sustainability in the environment? It's so much energy heavy. These all of these processes resolving nonsense equations, gods know what they are, and they're just, oh, I minted the coin. So by the way, I, I think we we're not we're not resolving the problem of uh, the currency is not the problem, it's the system that runs through it. That's the problem. Anyway, um from where you stand. Kevin, how you, do you see an uptrend on establishing businesses, um, de, you know, dealing with cryptos, NFTs, and all type of digital assets? Um, I'll put it this way. I think um, there are less companies or less businesses that are showing up related to crypto or blockchain. Uh, however, I believe the ones that are being established have more better fund fundamental like ideas and the whole idea of the business is a lot more legit than it used to be because back in the day uh when i'm talking like you know 2017 2018 when you had a big boom in cryptocurrencies and icos and stuff like that uh you'd have com small companies or like pseudo exchanges showing up left and right and like you know uh the the, the space wasn't very well regulated and um a lot of these did like you said <laughs> end up being uh i don't want to don't want to say scams 
because that would imply that they had bad intents, but most they were not very successful and many people did lose their, let's say, investments, right? Um, however, I, I do believe that the, the space is still mostly uh, like the Wild West, especially in Poland. There are certain regulations in place. Uh, however, even the definition of what a specific cryptocurrency falls under uh, is still not very well established. And um, although I do believe that many of these businesses or these ideas are either risky or, or scammy, uh, I believe that there are others which do seem pretty promising and, and very interesting, even from a legal perspective. But um, let me ask you this question. So is, is the current legal framework right now that governs these type of businesses is, is, is the same old one saying, if you're doing investing in crypto, from a legal standpoint, is your investment fund? They don't care about you, and hence all all of you all of your operation regulated accordingly. It's like you have to have authorizations from the you know the the financial watchdog in Poland and etc. But nothing really specific to the type of the industry. Is this the, what they say? Yes. Um, basically, there's no regulation which is specifically intended for cryptocurrencies or let's say crypto assets in general. Uh, in AML, the only definition of what a cryptocurrency is, is found in the AML Act, which basically says something around the, the it basically says that a cryptocurrency is a digital representation of value. Um, however, this definition is only really used for the purpose of the AML itself, because depending on the functions of a specific cryptocurrency, um, you know, what it's capable of and uh, what, its, what its functions are, it can be qualified as many other things. It could be qualified as a security, it could be qualified as a contract, as just like um, a representation, as, as like a representation of value, an immaterial one per se. Um, and this causes many issues because um, number one, in many cases, if you have a certain idea uh, and you wanna um, tokenize it, there's some kind of tokens or cryptocurrencies involved. Number one, you're not really sure what it will be qualified as. Uh, you don't know if it's going to be security, if it's going to be a contract, if you need to apply to the regulatory authorities for a special kind of concession to do this kind of business that, you're, that you have in mind. Um, and then number two, it's um, a risk that in the future, if you're doing a your business in a certain way, uh, and at the moment it's fine, but in the future, they actually implement a law because it's going to have to come sooner or later since the space is very popular. It, it may be that the law will impose so many different obligations on you that you, you're going to have to close the business down because it's not going to be really possible for you to, um, let's say, hire financial advisors, uh, make like special uh, interior compliance documentation, have compliance officers do like extensive AML checks of all your clients. Um, so basically in poland it's um this the space is not heavily regulated so on the one hand you have more of a let's say free hands to conduct certain type of crypto related business however on the other hand it does create lots of uncertainty as to how your business will actually be treated by the authorities if it ever audits you or if there's ever a law implemented in the future so it's not really um it's definitely not, there's definitely other jurisdictions that are more friendly at the moment when it comes to this kind of business. That mm. being said, there are businesses 
that do um, that do work in this space or that do have certain ideas and are trying to cert implement certain uh, products or certain like uh, uh, SaaS solutions. So it's going to be interesting to see how it's going to go forward. And some of our clients uh, do have these types of ideas. Um, however, the space is not really, or, or the market, the law is not really um, as well established and as stable as certain as other countries. You know, I am, so if I break it down to currencies and NFTs, and because this is the kind of the main two products of, you know, of all of these digital assets around us. So NFTs, you could say, as you said, it's a contract, it's, it's art, it's whatever you name it, right? That's fine more or less, but anyone who's minting a currency and calling it the currency, currency by definition, I think important too, is, is a sovereign thing. It's only minted, produced by the central bank under the order of, you know, the, the constitutional order of the, of the state, right? Depends on a country and I'm not sure Poland as well, that's the representative and the president or in the government, right? The prime minister. So if at some point you're minting currency, talking called Ben and one Kevin, whatever it is, right? Get a knock your door. Hey, by the way, you can mint the currency. That's a sovereign thing. You know that, right? And, and basically what I'm trying to say, the founder of these currencies, they might go away with it. They're going to just shut, the down, shut down the business and walk away, right? But and then, you know, the Johns and the Jonathans, the, Dan, the Dans of this world, they ended by something. It's worth nothing, actually nothing. Because those currency has, they, they don't have, they don't have the states of a legal tender. They, 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 there's nothing in it. So, so sooner or later, this is what happen, right? Two things are going to happen in my mind. So either the, the, the central banks will adapt one of the mainstream digital currencies and become a mainstream things like a sovereign thing in itself. Um, and, and, or they're going to ban the whole shit. They say, it's like, you got Polish lot these on. It's like, <laughs> right. And, and this, this is, this yeah um well well uh, yeah i I, def I i definitely see um i see where you're going at right um and i do agree that a lot of these let's say projects or coins that are minted by just like you know tom's warehouse somewhere over there and you can use it to pay for your car maintenance and stuff like that uh definitely do not recommend investing in these types of uh startup projects let's let's call them because like you said it's all dependent on this one guy that actually made the coin and he's most most likely it's a it's a coin that's centralized and it has one guy that's responsible for everything right um that being said there are certain um the technology does allow you to make tokens or coins that are decentralized so you you can't really well, well, let's say the risk of somebody doing a rug pull on it is, is much, uh, much lower. Of course, if there's one guy holding 80% of the coin is decentralized and he just pulls the rug and sells everything, then, you know, that's going to make the price plummet or what? I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, uh, I don't want anyone, anybody to get the impression that I'm a crypto <laughs> maniac enthusiast and that everything's <laughs> going to be great. And, you know, uh, this is, yeah, this is our, it's, it's our way to get away from the government that's stealing our money and from surveillance and, you know, and those banks are sending all our information to uh, the tax office and stuff like that. Like, um, I, 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 I'm not somebody who just says that, you know, it's a, it's an investment. It's, you know, a way to, for a better future and so on. No, like, you know, I've had my adventures with, with crypto, uh, 
I, like one from a legal perspective because I've done extensive legal research and, and have legal practice with cryptocurrency due to the, our clients, uh, but also from the, the standpoint of, let's say, a quote-unquote investor, right? Um, and I definitely would not say it is an investment. Uh, I'd say much, a lot more of a casino because you really have no idea which way that which way it's going to go. And you, know, <laughs> you might wait, you may wake up one day, you're up 20%, wake up the next, you're down 40%. And uh, it is it is a big a big big volatility in the market let's say right but however however i do believe that um there are certain projects or certain ideas that revolve around maybe not so much cryptocurrencies but let's say um, blockchain technology or tokens that does seem to have promising value perhaps in the future if it becomes um more uh, if it develops a bit more like I'm not sure what what's your thought on um, let, like there there's the idea of smart contracts, right? Oh yeah. Uh, where yeah. you make an agreement based on yeah you make an agreement based on blockchain technology, of course, where if there's a certain condition met, then the algorithm kind of enforces the contract, and whatever the agreement was between the parties actually comes into force automatically, and you don't have to go to a court or anything. So. Like, what do, you, what do you think about stuff like this? Because this is the kind of stuff that I'd imagine would be um, what was actually promising. Yeah, yeah absolutely. No, I, I agree with you. So the smart contract, I'm th thinking about also supply chain sup solutions, right? Um, order fulfillment. There's many other applications where blockchain come into play and is pretty useful, right? I, I totally agree with this. Um, so I think, I think the boom and busts of all of the digital, Asset, not the not the technology, the asset itself that came out on top of blockchains, namely, are a result of an excessive amount of cash that's thrown into the market. People just speculating the next one can buy it more than what I paid for, and 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 hence made them not a hedge by definitions, because a hedge to me is something become independent, protect your money, retirement money from inflations, tax increase, government surveillance, you name it. But in, the matter of truth is, is not because they depend on the market fundamentals. So they're not really a hedge in simple terms. I know that's, we could go down the rubber holes and many other factors, but that's, that's how I see it. So Kevin, so uh, a question. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, in, in just, just to close, uh, uh, that topic. I do agree that uh, I, I don't recommend putting your life savings into it. Don't don't recommend using it as a long term investment, especially if you don't have the money to actually lose. Because um, you know, I think the statistic is like around eighty percent of people who invest in crypto actually lose money. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where it goes uh, and where these promising projects that I believe have some kind of sense will end up in the next few years. Um, but that being said, I do not believe that, uh, you should, um, that people should blindly believe in certain projects or, or let's say the fundamentals and the ideas of, of, of the whole, um, of the whole, let's see, hype associated with cryptocurrencies. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Kevin, a last question, actually, I have in my, in my, uh, in my, uh, knowledge questions. So you working a lot with us clients, right? and across the EU as well. Um, and 
how that looks like in terms of the formats of the companies. You know, you have a limited liabilities, you have a joint stock companies and all of that. So it's like in terms of the format of the business, what's the what's the things that stand up out to you? Um, and especially and to your clients when you work with them and say, oh, I didn't know that such a thing would exist in Poland, but it does not exist elsewhere. The key differentiator. Mm, well, if you work with companies abroad, um, you're basically working mostly with two types of companies. That's limited liabilities. And that is um, just like let's say corporations, if I use the American term, or like um, PLCs, if I'm going to be using the mm. UK term. Uh, however, in Poland, there are other types of companies, uh, namely they're called, um, I, I think the translation in English, like joint partnership, it's, um, the Spuka Komandotowa. And this is a type of company that's not very popular abroad. However, in Poland, it does exist and it exists in, it's not very rare to find these companies because of certain um, tax easements or tax optimizations that you can use using using these companies. So uh, in situations, uh, it might be uh, surprising for people from abroad that they will not be recommended to actually set up a limited liability company, but they will be actually advised to set up one of these spooky commandotov and they have a totally different structure the idea uh, around like uh liability and who is responsible for what is way different than it is in limited liability companies so this is something that i think people might find mm. surprising that uh, there are actually other companies in poland or other types of companies that are um popular and they're not really associated with the classical ones that you see uh, in other jurisdictions is the key always finding good lawyers Kevin. that's that's my own experience not because of your lawyer i'm pitching you here but i know it's like i would not figure it out myself <laughs> right so kevin thanks a lot yeah well, well yeah of course you know it's, uh and it's and, it, and it's something that's uh if it's something new if it's something that you're not really sure about many many times you would rather stay with something that you're comfortable with uh, however, you know, uh, like you said, the whole secret to entering Poland when it comes to market to doing business here is finding people who are going to actually uh, sort of hold your hand through it, show you what the steps are, show you what you're going to be dealing with, um, show you the differences between what you will be doing in Poland compared to what you're doing abroad. And it is definitely doable. Uh, and I do encourage it if you are planning on doing any kind of business in Poland to actually give it a go. Um, and I also recommend uh, getting in touch with a team that's going to help you um, optimize your experience and make it uh, pleasant and unpleasant. I, I, I highly recommend teams um, where you work and Kevin, so, and you, yourself as well. So I'll, I'll add your details. Um, I think this will be a great help for everyone to, to get to Poland. Um, so yeah, good having you in the show, Kevin. And uh, hopefully speak to you again soon. Sure. Thanks a lot, Ben. Always a pleasure. And, uh, you too.